1: Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800 GAMBLER.
0: I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novela, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio, season nine. Love Love at first first listen. listen.
3: Welcome in podcast listeners. Appreciate you guys downloading the Monday podcast. I am out on the West Coast hooking up uh, everything out here for the week. We'll be in Las Vegas and you'll hear me talk about it a lot during the show, but I want podcast listeners to hear this too. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from the MGM Grand. We're doing lock it in from the MGM Grand for the NCAA Tournament live television show Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you can get there. It'll be at 30 Pacific time. They'll start letting people in at 1.00. I tweeted out a link if you want to be able to get tickets there, all right? That is on the horizon. Also, I want to tell you, if you want to hop in and get hooked up with a great bracket challenge, go to mybookie.net, put in the word Travis, and you will be well on your way to potentially winning $50,000 in the mybookie.net bracket challenge you can also get all the latest numbers and odds there it's mybookie.net bracket challenge get hooked up now today on the show Todd Furman breaks down the bracket we dive in discuss all of it and more and Aaron Torres who does a show on Fox Sports Radio it's mostly almost entirely NCAA tournament talk let's get rolling with the podcast
1: now Outkick kick the coverage with Clay Travis live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Three to six a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio Radio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio
3: live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Well. Let the madness begin. The NCAA tournament brackets are out, and we are off and running with a Monday edition of the show that is going to be A heck of a bracket-centric breakdown here. Uh, Not surprisingly, it's number one overall story in the world of sports. I hope you guys had fantastic weekends wherever you may find yourself across the country or indeed around the world. We are here and we're breaking down the brackets for you. Got a loaded show. Let you know, uh, Todd Furman, uh, who does the show Lock It In with me, is going to be on here with us uh, shortly. And he is going to break down everything about uh, this uh, this entire bracket and give us early odds reads on who's favored among the one seeds, Virginia, North Carolina, Gonzaga, and Duke, all the favored one seeds as we come down the home stretch. The two seeds, Kentucky, Michigan, uh, Michigan State, and Tennessee. Those are your eight top seeds uh, as we come across the, uh, the, the NCAA tournament pool. Now, couple of things I want to tell you in advance. I'm out on the West Coast this week. So we are going to be running around like crazy. I'm doing uh, Lock It In, the television show Monday and Tuesday out in LA. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we will be live doing the TV show at the MGM Grand. So if you are going to be in Vegas for the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament and you are listening to me right now, Uh, we have I tweeted out a link to allow you to get tickets to come watch uh, us do the live version of the show and Todd Furman and I'll talk with that talk about that with you here a little bit more shortly but that is on the horizon it's really cool those of you who've been to Vegas before know how much fun it is to gamble and watch all the games on the opening weekend the Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday we will be live Every single day down the stretch, there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. So uh, I hope you guys are going to be able to uh, make it. But as we dive into this bracket and uh, we start to make sense of it, I know everybody going into work is going to be starting their bracket pools and all those other uh, challenging aspects and fun things about filling into bracket. When you sit there and think, oh, I'm a genius, there's no way this bracket's not going to be perfect. And it takes till about, what, 2.30 in the afternoon Eastern time, and your bracket is already busted. A couple of things that I always think off the jump. One is this. I don't understand how and why this happens every year. They seed teams 1 to 8, right? 1 to 8. They give you the seed line. They will seed the teams all the way 1 to 68. Yet they don't set up the bracket to reflect the 1 versus 8 matchups. In other words, if they did, and I think this is the most fair possible scenario you could do, why seed if the number 1 overall seed is not going to get to play the number 8 overall seed? If two's not going to play seven, three's not going to play six, and four is not going to play five. We talk about this a lot in the college football universe, right? It's a big deal in theory, whether you're the one, the four, the two, or the three for matchups. And if they ever expand the college football playoff, one will play eight, two will play seven, three will play six, four will play five. Now, I know there are lots of upsets that can happen on the way to the regional final to see who advances to the final four. But y'all, Michigan State, got utterly screwed in this bracket seeding. They are the number six overall team in college basketball, according to the NCAA Selection Committee. And they have been sent to go play against Duke, theoretically, in the Elite Eight. And a team that they beat three times, Michigan, gets sent out to get to play against the worst number one seed, Gonzaga. What sense does that make? I don't get it. I understand some of you are out there saying, oh, don't focus on this. Why are you whining about this? Because it matters to me. You play the entire regular season to figure out who the best teams are. The best teams in the regular season should get the best possible matchups once we get into the postseason. So right now it's simple. Duke should be playing Michigan. Virginia should be playing Kentucky. And if you have to sometimes move the teams around to ensure that, say, Kentucky doesn't get the benefit of playing Virginia in Louisville, Kentucky, it's not that big of a deal, right? You can shift the regions around. You can be flexible. Right now, Virginia is set up to play Tennessee in Louisville, Kentucky. That seems fair, but you wouldn't want Virginia to play against, uh, against Kentucky in Louisville. That wouldn't have been fair, right? So you can move them around. North Carolina set up to play Kentucky, and uh, what should happen, North Carolina set up to play against Michigan State, and Gonzaga should be playing Tennessee. We should have 1 versus 8, 2 versus 7, 3 versus 6, and 4 versus 5. I don't know why every year this doesn't happen. You release the numbers 1 to 68, seed it up so that the best teams play the worst teams, and that all that is set up so that Duke would play against Michigan, which is the worst two-seed, and that Virginia would play against uh, Kentucky, which is the next worst uh, two-seed. This is not rocket science. It's not unbelievably difficult to break this down. I don't know why that happens, okay? That's my first thought, and it seems like this happens every year in the NCAA tournament. Here's my other thing. Remember a couple of years ago when Duke had to go on the road as a two-seed and play against a seven-seed South Carolina team and they got beat in South Carolina. We got a situation set up like this already. And because I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm already pretty much convinced it's going to happen. Tennessee is set up right now, if you look at the bracket, if they beat Colgate, which theoretically they would. If you lose to Colgate, doesn't matter. Tennessee and Cincinnati are going to play in Columbus, Ohio. Why is Cincinnati getting to play what is a default home game as the lower-seeded team in, uh, in Ohio. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Also, and Kansas seems like they get protected all the time. I believe in the bracket right now. Kansas is set up. If they are able to advance, Kansas would get to play in, uh, in, a, uh, in a favorable region in their backyard as well, and that doesn't make any sense to me. So as we run through this bracket, sometimes these things jump out at me and I just say, these don't make any sense. Why can we not figure this out? Uh, But those are my thoughts in general as we start to run through the bracket. Now, Duke with Zion. I got to come clean. I didn't think Zion was going to come back, and I certainly didn't think he was going to come back and play as well as he did Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three straight days for Duke. Uh, Zion is, I think right now, the most beloved Duke basketball player of all time. I want everybody out there to think about this with me for a minute. Can you name a Duke basketball player who is more beloved by the nation at large right now than Zion Williamson? I'm not even sure who the second most beloved Duke basketball player is of all time. Usually Duke basketball exists for us to hate them, right? And a lot of times that's the white guy who plays for Duke, whether it's Grayson Allen, whether it is uh, back in the day, Uh, Remember good old Cherokee Parks. Remember, obviously, Christian Laettner, who's probably the most hated player in the history of college basketball. There's a lot of hate, but it also transcends race because you got guys like Shane Battier that I don't think anybody was ever really in love with. Jason Williams, who maybe is one of the most liked Duke basketball players ever. He wasn't beloved. Remember Wojciechowski, who's now the coach of uh, Marquette. Everybody hated Wojo back in the day. Uh, There are J.J. Redick. God forbid how much people hated J.J. Redick. There are a lot of guys over the years at Duke who have been the most hated player in college basketball during their reigns. Can you even think of the second most likable Duke basketball player? Danny G is here with me. Danny G, come in and give me the second most liked Duke basketball player nationwide. People didn't like Trajan Langdon. They didn't like, uh, they didn't. I mean, I, you just run through the list of famous Duke basketball players. I don't know if the number two is. Zion is clearly the most beloved. I was wrong. He came back, he played phenomenally well. Let me tell you this this guy is going to set an all time record for whatever shoe deal he gets. That shoe blowing up on him in the Nike shoe is the greatest thing that's ever happened to him because he's probably going to make 50 or $60 million more. Because if Adidas can sign him to a big-time deal, then he gets to go out and say, I didn't want to blow it and go with Nike, right? Like, he can totally attack them. Under Armour, uh, Reebok, whoever else is out there, Puma, Fila, whatever shoe companies are out there competing, by playing with Duke and having his shoe explode, this dude is on a different marketing path than anybody else, and I think he's the most electric and exciting and exhilarating player coming into the NCAA tournament that we've seen in a long time, and we've never seen that guy before at Duke. Can you remember? Can you even think of the second most liked Duke player? I'm going to say Grant Hill. Grant Hill back in the day was pretty well liked. Yeah. That's been like 20-some-odd years, and Duke, to be fair, hadn't really turned into Duke yet when they had Grant Hill, right? Um, and also his hate. Was diluted because he was on the team with Christian Laettner, right? But that's not a bad breakdown to say Grant Hill might be the second most liked Duke player of all time. I there just aren't very many of them right now, right? I guarantee you there's guys rolling into my Twitter mentions, uh, giving me all sorts of uh, of 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 suggestions. But the point is, nobody can come up with a Duke player who's ever been more beloved than Zion. Are you with me? Like nationwide, he's
4: must watch television, and also I feel like just about everybody's rooting for him. Usually, Clay, I think you way overreact to a lot of things, but in this case, I've actually been aboard the Zion train, whereas you thought he wasn't going to play anymore in college. I knew for his teammates, DBAP, he wasn't going to let them down. And as far as his skills on the court, there's nothing you could really point to as a major weakness. I'm talking great defense. Obviously, his offense is amazing. Leadership, hustle, everything you want. Rebounding. This dude is a big-time baller. Hashtag future Laker. Got my fingers crossed. Probably not going to happen. But, I mean, 700,000 more people get to their TVs to watch him in a game that he's going to be in. That tells you everything you need to know right there. What's his weakness? Maybe injuries, right? Because sometimes body is typically – now
3: LeBron can give you evidence that this might not be the case. But sometimes you know how the guys who are the most physical specimen athlete out there – end up being sometimes the guys who get hurt the most. Like, the guy who has the beer gut and is pitching in baseball, <laughs> it's like he's never on the DL. The guy who's ripped and, like, has all these different muscles and all these different finely-tuned body parts, he's the guy who it seems like is always tweaking something. The guy who's just kind of an average-looking Joe, his body doesn't reject him like that. That's the only thing I can possibly think that could be the kryptonite on Zion's, uh, you know, resume is that maybe, possibly, he's just not like his body is just so rare. Like there's a great story about Zion when they bring him in to test him at Duke. They say, look, all of you who are Duke basketball players are physical freaks. From a pure athletic perspective, you guys are on the top of the, the top point one of one percent, right? In terms of your overall athleticism, your height, your weight, all those things. They said, You're all freaks. Zion is a double freak. We've never had anybody who tests like Zion does. You know what else about Zion? I don't even think he's in that great a shape. You know, like, at some point when he gets in the NBA, I think he's still got a decent amount of baby fat on him. Like, if you look at him, he doesn't look like a, you know, a Greek god, right? Like, usually as guys go through their college career, they start to lose a little bit of that baby fat. I mean, he's 19 years old. And you go back and look, let's say, at LeBron when LeBron was uh, 18 coming into the NBA, LeBron was, not, uh, was just kind of skinny, right? And he had a lot of body that he could put muscle on. But Zion eventually is going to look like Karl Malone, right? He's eventually going to grow into that body even more. And so his physical and athletic prowess is going to go to a different level. But what impresses me so much about him right now, honestly, and why I'm so excited to watch him in this NCAA tournament, is because he's got a great comprehension and understanding of the game. Right. He moves the basketball well. He passes. Yes, all the attention can go to the supreme athleticism, but his mental understanding of basketball at 18, 19 years old is way in excess, I think, of where most college basketball players are. And, uh, I mean, I think going to college has been immeasurably beneficial to him. You know, you have a lot of questions about whether guys should go straight to the league or not. Uh, DeAndre Ayton plays right now for the Phoenix Suns. Do you know how many people watch DeAndre Ayton night in and night out with the Phoenix Suns? Nowhere near as many. And he played, granted, at Arizona last year. But basically Zion Williamson's entire career at Duke has been an advertisement for the NBA and for his future earnings potential. I'm not sure that anybody has ever benefited more from one year in college than Zion will purely from a financial perspective.
4: I was being funny with a Zion picture with him wearing a Lakers jersey and somebody told me, well, how do you know for sure that he's not going to go back to college for another year? I mean, he'd be crazy to do that, right, at the risk of injury?
3: I, I think that uh, he will go pro, and I think if you look at his uh, at his marketability, he is a perfect example of how everything can go right in, uh, in the NBA, right? I mean, in college basketball leading into the NBA, I think he's going to be the most watched NBA player since LeBron made his debut coming straight out of high school. I think that's where he ranks right now. Uh, We're going to talk with Todd Furman. We'll start to get you broken down as we run through the NCAA tournament brackets here on Fox Sports Radio.
1: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win.
0: Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano.
3: Todd Furman, he's on Lock It In every day with me, and yesterday they actually ran an ad for our show during the NASCAR race.
6: We're getting to be big time, Clay. They're pumping us up to NASCAR. Before we know it, we'll be prominently displayed during commercial breaks with Troy Aikman and Joe Bach on the NFL Game of the Week. So we're moving up in the Fox family. It's only a good thing.
3: Uh, there's no doubt at all about that. Part of our fun week, I know it's Monday and I'll be out in L.A. I'm out in L.A. now, uh, but we're meeting up back in your town of Vegas to do the show live on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the MGM Grand, which I'm pretty excited about.
6: Oh, it'll definitely be a tremendous atmosphere, and for any folks that'll be out here for the NCAA tournament, if it, as if it wasn't exciting enough to begin with, now you'll have live days of Lock It In, as you said, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Come check out the show. It's a perfect time to heckle Clay. You can heckle me. You can offer to buy Rachel Bonetta drinks like Danny G. I mean, it's the best <laughs> of all things going in the right direction.
3: Can you believe that I'm going to be the king out in Vegas? How much has this hurt you?
6: I mean, it does hurt me a decent amount, but eventually when you throw enough stuff at the wall as far as moneyline parlays are concerned, you're bound to hit one. But what hurts me even more is having to watch that Denver Nuggets and Dallas Mavericks game unfold with Nikola Jokic hitting a runner in the lane that he threw up there. Otherwise, the crown would be right back on my head where it should belong. But, hey, Clay, you're proving to everybody out there that even a blind squirrel can find a nut, so I have to give you a little bit of golf clap. You've suffered long enough.
3: All right, let's look at the bracket. Uh, the bracket is out. All over the country, Monday morning, everybody going into work this morning, listening to us. They want to talk with their friends, families, co-worker, get everybody ready, got the brackets out, uh, looking at them. Let's talk about the number one seeds. And this is, to me, probably the most egregious and un, uh, unfathomable error that happens very frequently. Duke is, right now, I think with Zion, you would probably agree, the best team in the NCAA tournament, right? Like they are. Uh, they are playing at a different caliber, different level. Michigan State, clearly the best team in the Big Ten this year, yet Michigan State is sent to play against Duke in the East region. Does this make any sense to you?
6: Absolutely none, and I was blown away because they asked that very question yesterday on the telecast of one of the members of the committee, How is Michigan, well, Michigan State moved past Michigan by virtue of the winning the conference championship, yet they're not using the S-curve, and we're just going to haphazardly throw the ones in one spot, the twos somewhere, and use the justification because they can play 150 miles closer to home. I have no idea. I mean, don't get me wrong. The NCAA committee doesn't do a lot of things the right way. This is one of the more dumbfounding decisions I've seen. They should have clearly been the top number two seed as champion of the, what, the committee told us it was the best conference in the country as the Big Ten got eight teams. You beat Michigan not once, not twice, but three times. They should have been in the same bracket as Gonzaga. And even if it meant going out west, they should have an easier road than needing to face Duke in a potential Elite Eight showdown between Coach K and Tom Izzo.
3: Yeah, and that's what really kind of gets on me is if you look at the overall breakdown, right, if you're going to seed one to eight, which they do, then it's really not that complicated to have one play eight, two play – set it up that way, right? To set it up so that one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six, and four plays five. If you did that, then you would have had a matchup in the uh, regional finals projected. Now, a lot of these teams may well lose before they get there, but you would have Duke, Michigan, you'd have Virginia, Kentucky, you'd have UNC, Michigan State, and you'd have Gonzaga playing against Tennessee. I don't know why the committee – gives us the top teams and then doesn't follow their own S-curve to put the top teams playing against the top teams, right? Like, why would uh, it, If you're Duke, wouldn't you rather play Michigan than you would play against uh, Michigan State?
6: Well, the only thing working in Duke's favor here is I don't believe Coach Izzo has ever beaten Coach K. Yeah, His record against him is yeah. pretty terrible. So from that standpoint, I'm sure Duke's going, we're going to have to beat all the good teams. But if you're Michigan State, you clearly would have rather had a different road But in and of itself, that's one egregious mistake. Can you explain to me, Clay, how Kansas, a 4 seed from the Big 12 who couldn't win a game on the road pretty much the entire last month of the season, gets a de facto home game in Kansas City. If North Carolina were to meet up against Kansas in the Sweet 16, it's a home game for Kansas, and they're the fourth seed in the region. I'll never understand how any of this stuff potentially works and how it fits together, favoring lower seeds for inexplicable reasons.
3: Yeah, look, and that would be – it's the same thing that I've been kind of griping about and some people getting on me on Twitter, but Tennessee is set up right now if the bracket falls to play against Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio. I don't understand why the committee couldn't just look at the bracket and say, okay, we don't need to be projecting Kansas to be playing in Kansas City, right, against a higher-seeded team. And similarly, we don't need to be putting Cincinnati in their home state and basically the backyard there in Columbus, Ohio, getting to play against Tennessee. It just doesn't make any sense. You could easily have moved Cincinnati. You could easily have moved Kansas, and this wouldn't be an issue.
6: Well, I think a lot of it has come in when the NCAA said that they were worried about attendance at some of these venues, and they wanted to put teams with a regional flavor. This has kind of been the end result. So we saw it a couple of years ago with Duke going down to South Carolina in what was essentially a South Carolina home Nonsensical. game. Nonsensical.
3: Duke got screwed there.
6: And they were in eight seats. I'm right there with you. I don't understand why we can't go back to the old days. If you're in the Midwest region, you play all your games in the Midwest. If you're in the West, hey, you know what, Michigan State, too bad. You got to go out west and you have to play in Salt Lake City or whatever it may be. Sometimes you try and get too cute, and these become the unintended consequences of trying to create a fair and equitable playing field. Of course, unless Kansas and their boosters paid their way into the field, and they were able to get a Kansas home game, like we've seen with a lot of academic admissions.
3: Hey, let's be honest. It's not like they would go to USC. Um, so, uh, <laughs> as, uh, as you look at this bracket, I mean, obviously the top te- seeds and the top teams are going to get a lot of attention. But what to you jumps out overall from a gambling perspective about some of these early matchups? I saw there's been a rush of money that has come rolling in on Montana since this game opened. I know that a lot of money has come in on Colgate against Tennessee. What else are you seeing out there in terms of early lines that are making you kind of interesting as we roll into the start of the week?
6: Well, it's always fascinating, and as we talk here early Monday morning, I mean, the numbers that came out Sunday night are a little bit, uh, I guess, very immature and so what I mean by that is there gonna be a lot of volatility. Odds makers are scrambling just like professional betters to figure out how teams that have no track record come from very different leagues and trying to assess the overall power profile are going to match up against one another. So you mentioned that Colgate-Tennessee game. I mean, you saw that number open upwards of six points higher in some locations, and this thing has kind of gone all over the place. But when I look at on-court matchup, I think for me, one of the more fascinating matchups that we're going to see is not Montana against Michigan. The point spread will add a little bit of drama, but I watched those two teams a couple years ago, and Montana couldn't throw it in the ocean. It's a game like Yale and LSU. An LSU team that's in a bit of disarray with a head coach that won't be with the team Yale from the Ivy League that maybe has a little bit more of an NBA flavor than they've had in the past and some athletes that can go up and down the court I was stunned to see books out here in the desert open that game at 10 knowing that number wasn't going to stick So for me, that's an extremely intriguing matchup. And then when you see some of the other teams, I'm glad Belmont had a chance to get into the field for a play-in scenario against Temple. Uh, I go down the board and I look at a team like Liberty against Mississippi State. Those are the games that make the tournament great early on, and I think it's fascinating to see some of those intersectional showdowns between teams that won't play one another typically during the course of the regular season.
3: All right, as you break this down on a larger scale, uh, last year we always hear a lot about 5 versus 12 upsets, maybe to such an extent that it has turned into such a trend that a lot of teams are avoiding them you mentioned the Mississippi State Liberty game that's a 5-12 Wisconsin Oregon uh certainly when you uh when you look at Auburn New Mexico State let's pause there for a sec on the Auburn New Mexico State you uh we we, we did the show uh, over the weekend we hung out and you uh you projected on locking in that you liked Auburn potentially at five to one to win the SEC they did it Uh, And now you said Auburn may enter into the tournament being one of the most overrated teams because of the hot streak they're on. I think they've won eight games in a row. How do you value hotness, right? I mean, it's a question in all of life, but certainly as you start the NCAA tournament runs.
6: Well, I think it's always a great question. And you try and figure out which teams are playing the best basketball when they need to. And you mentioned Auburn's eight-game winning streak. Uh, the last loss coming in early or late February, excuse me, at Kentucky by 27 points, but this is the kind of team in Auburn with the right draw that can beat anybody uh, on a given night because of how well they shoot the ball from the outside, but at the same time can lose to anybody when those shots aren't falling. I mean, this is one of the most efficient teams in the SEC from beyond the arc. They were nearly a 40% sh- three-point shooting team, and you saw Bryce Brown get hot. You saw them do it without Justin Harper really contributing in the championship game, uh, but For me, I'm extremely scared to lay points with Auburn for just that reason because if you can't get easy baskets on the inside, and New Mexico State's a team that does have a little bit of tournament experience, they've been here, done that, they blew out Grand Canyon en route to getting here, that you have to worry if shots aren't falling, where does Auburn go to try and find their offense? Now the one thing they have working for them is they have some upperclassmen. You have Brown's a senior, Harper's a junior, so maybe these guys are able to take the ball to the rim. But I'd want no part of Auburn laying points that I know the number's about 1.5 to 2 points inflated at minimum, coming off of a miraculous 72-hour stretch. If anything, they could come into this game lethargic, uh, and maybe New Mexico State puts a bit of a scare into them, at least for the first 20 minutes.
3: How much do you value conference in these matchups, or do you completely toss it out? Big Ten gets 8, SEC, ACC gets 7, Pac-12 manages to squeak in with 3 Do you factor in the conference at all in terms of the challenges that some of the big conference teams have had versus some of the smaller schools, or do you just toss it all out the window once the brackets come out?
6: No, I think it plays a big role. If you're battle-tested and you're facing the rigors game in, game out, you're going to be much more inclined to handle yourself in a tight ball game late. That's always one of the big concerns for Gonzaga. They check every box. They look great getting off the bus, but they don't find themselves in grinders. When they come out of the under-4-minute media timeout, they're not doing that Every single night they go out on the floor, like teams in the SEC or the Big Ten, or even the Ivy League, that had more close games and more games go to overtime than almost any league in the country. So when you're blowing everybody out as an elite team, you just don't know what it's like to taste your own blood in a game that means the most. So for me, when I look at the Big Ten, top to bottom, it was the best league at the end of the season. The Rutgers and Penn State of the world were playing great basketball. So I feel like an Ohio State, who's catching you know, a handful of points against Iowa State, they may be intriguing underdog there because they've played against some of the good teams they know what it takes to win these tight games late Uh, and I think it goes a long long way in trying to find a Cinderella coming from a power conference maybe more so than the Belmonts of the world
3: UVA last year loses to a 16 seed psychologically early round tournament games do you think they're tight or do you think they've been waiting for this moment for a year
6: I think they've been waiting for this moment for an entire year, and they'll draw Gardner-Webb right out of the gate. You look at this Virginia team, and they're not like the Virginia team we saw last year. They're number two in the entire country in adjusted offensive efficiency, scoring 123 points per 100 possessions. Defensively, they haven't missed a beat on the other side. And a loss to Florida State, not overly alarming. Florida State boasts a ton of athletes and could create problems for a number of teams uh in the tournament as well. So for me, I think it's important though that Virginia gets out to a quick start. They banish the notion of a potential upset again at the hands of Gardner Webb. You look at their potential matchup in the round of 32 taking on the winner of Old Miss Oklahoma. I think that's very favorable and once they get those two games in the bank this is a team that is extremely dangerous. They can create their own shot. And while it's not quite an apples-to-apples comparison, it reminds me of what Villanova had to go through before they could finally break through and win the national championship. They were had an early exit against NC State. They brought back a lot of the core and key contributors, and they took an us-against-the-world mentality. Uh, I think Virginia's got an excellent chance to cut down the nets in Minneapolis.
3: Last question for you. Houston and LSU. Houston, a little bit under the radar. They're playing Georgia State. LSU, obviously, a lot of uh, of mess surrounding their program right now. How do you break down teams like these? LSU against Yale and Houston against Georgia State.
6: LSU is a team that I'd be selling right now I just don't like where this team is at and you have to wonder when they let a late lead slip away against Florida if that could have some residual carryover effect the nice thing that the Tigers have going for them though is they have a number of players more than capable uh, of taking over a game and you mentioned Houston Uh, again they came up on the short end of the stick in the rubber match against Cincinnati a team they'd beaten twice during the regular season Uh, but this is a Cougars team it's a little bit undersized they're extremely gritty and another side in my opinion, that got a bit of a raw deal. I mean, we quickly forget that they had Michigan beat dead to right with a chance to go to the Sweet 16. Uh, I think you look at their experience level that they bring back and a number of guys that are capable of taking over games, like a Corey Davis. Uh, This is a Houston team that I think a lot of people overlook, and I see them not only getting to the Sweet 16, but maybe even being a sleeper to get to the Elite Eight or deeper.
3: Outstanding stuff, as always, Todd Furman. Come hang with us in Las Vegas MGM Grand Sportsbook. When we come back, we will knock out the NCAA tournament brackets and give you on Monday our top pick for an upset. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. I am Clay Travis. We are live in Los Angeles, Danny G and I in the same studio. It doesn't happen very often. I'm doing Lock It In out here on Monday, Tuesday, uh, I hung out all day Friday with Rachel Bonetta. Are you jealous? We did a lot of videos.
4: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would love to see what she's like in person and hear her dog on you the way she does on FS1 on Lock It In every day. But I'm figuring you guys must have drank a lot because that picture you posted on Twitter, Rachel looks like she's maybe seven, eight drinks in. Her skin is pale.
3: Furman, we, we I posted a photo. We went out to, to eat at uh, Mastro's. How do you pronounce that? The steakhouse? Oh, it's great. Good meal. Uh, Furman knocked, I should have brought that up with Furman just in the second ago, Furman knocked over the entire table. I'm not kidding. Like we (laughs) down, so we, we taped, um, like, you know, the skits we do for the show, we taped all these cool skits and everything else. And then we go out to, uh, to dinner, the four of us together. And uh, I get a margarita, and as I'm pouring the last of my margarita in, the top comes off and there's ice everywhere, right? That was a small fail <laughs> because I had to get a new margarita. But then Furman, we need to get another table because we got one of those big seafood towers, yeah. you know, with all the awesome seafood there. So Furman, like, tries to shift over to a new table, and when he does, he knocks over the entire table. I mean, just a <laughs> huge crash. There's a disaster, like plates breaking, glasses breaking, like crazy. And, uh, and here's the crazy thing. He had one drink. He hadn't even had that much to drink. His picture was just awful. But we did do a bunch of uh, really cool videos. We actually, well, this is a ridiculous thing to do anyway, but we dressed up in mascot costumes and tried to dunk off trampolines.
4: (laughs) I'm not sure if Workman's Comp covers that or not.
3: Imagine if I tore my ACL trying to jump off of a trampoline to dunk. Uh, I got to tell you, I have so much more respect for those mascots because when you've got that mask on, you can't see anything right i mean it's a total mess and uh, it's hard to see around anywhere and uh, and so anyway that was crazy but uh, but we had a lot of fun uh, we had a good time but so anyway i'm out here doing the show monday and tuesday in la and then we'll be uh, at the mgm grand on wednesday thursday friday we'll also be doing the radio show from vegas but the radio show is not public but the television show will be so west coast uh, west coast living here for uh, for the rest of the week we did the friday show with uh, with jason martin so this is a little bit of a uh, lifestyle flip here, but I teased it before. Should we do? Should we do the LA Bron, or should we give our picks? I'll get. We'll do our picks.
4: Yeah, let's do picks first because you're waking up on this Monday morning wanting to do your first bracket, and I I know what you want to do here, right? LA Bron because you want to make fun of the Lakers. Blocked. How did your Vols do?
3: Uh, they didn't do well. I so said they did great on Saturday. Yeah. I'm pretending Sunday didn't happen. <laughs> uh, I am going to be 40 on April 6th. In my entire life, the University of Tennessee has never won the SEC basketball tournament.
4: Those bastards. There
3: are 40 years now that they could have won in my lifetime, and they have not been able to do it. So I just, at this point, don't ever believe it's going to happen. They've lost in the championship game the last two years. They lost in the championship game a few years ago. just never going to happen. I've just kind of resigned myself to it.
4: So everybody's going to ask us all week long, this is what we do for a living, and we overanalyze every single team. and all these different games, what is your first-round upset?
3: Yeah, you know what? I'm really intrigued by this one, um, and uh, and I know it's going to upset LSU people, but I actually I watched that Uh-oh. Yale-Harvard game uh, on, I guess, was that Sunday or Saturday? <laughs> yeah. They all run together because I was on the elliptical in the hotel gym, <laughs> and so I watched almost the whole thing. Uh, while I was there, and then I got on the treadmill and I'm watching it. You don't think this physique happens by accident, right? And I like how crisp they are and the way that they run their offense. I think LSU is uh, is a mess of a team right now. I think this could be a uh, a challenge for LSU., uh, so I actually like Yale. They're plus eight right now, which isn't even that big of a number. When you think about a 3 versus a 14, now that's a huge upset, right? So my biggest – like that's the bragging. I can brag about how much I got this one right. That's my biggest like brag about upset pick if it were to actually happen. I think Yale uh, as a 14 seed going up against LSU, I just like the fact that Yale's been a little bit uh, – you know, they're ecstatic to be there. I think LSU is wobbly right now uh, with the Will Wade situation, with the, uh, the smart situation. Everything else, I didn't like the way they played in their first round loss to uh, to Florida in the SEC tournament, so uh, I'm going to go with Yale as my super upset. What about you?
4: I'm going to go with St. Mary's over Villanova. St. Mary's, of course, fresh off of that upset victory over Gonzaga in the West, so I, just, I have a funny feeling that they're going to get it done over Villanova. I like Jay Wright, but St. Mary's for the upset in the first round.
3: Yeah, Nova's interesting because prior to, what, like two, three years ago, Jay Wright was the coach that everybody wanted to pick on, and then his team just got white hot from outside. They shoot a lot of threes, high-risk, high-reward style games, and they've won, what, two championships in the last three years. They're six seed, but they've been very kind of suspect down the stretch that wouldn't necessarily be a massive, uh, massive upset to me, uh, but uh, but yeah, St. Mary's as the 11 over the uh, the six seed Villanova. Um, all right, the other there's another couple of uh, of games here that I think are intriguing uh, that that really kind of jump out at me. And we talked about this a little bit. Michigan, Michigan is getting there is a ton of money rolling in on Montana early. Michigan opened 22, minus 22. And the most recent number I saw in this game is 15. So you want to talk about how big of a move. Some of the uh, You heard Todd Furman talking about how the odds makers are scrambling too because they're not really great at knowing exactly how these matchups are going to be. And if you want to pounce sometimes early, you can get a number. You've got a seven-point middle now. If you saw the open of that game and you took Montana plus 22, it's all the way down to Michigan minus 15 now. So that's a seven-point move pretty wild. All right, when we uh, continue, we're going to come back and we're going to talk with my guy, Aaron Torres. He's a big-time, he does Fox Sports Radio. He's a big-time college basketball guy. We will break down everything in the world of the brackets and beyond. We are live in Los Angeles. Appreciate all of you hanging out. I encourage you to download the podcast. Make sure you don't miss any of OutKick. And reminder, we're going to be in Vegas Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, live with Lock It In. My name is Clay Travis. This is OutKick, the coverage. Up next, it's Aaron Torres. More breaking down the brackets on Fox Sports Radio. Appreciate you spending your Monday morning with us. This is Outkick the Coverage, and we are talking about the NCAA Tournament Brackets, which came out on Sunday afternoon slash evening, depending on what part of the country you are in. Danny G and I, I think this is the first full show that I've done in the
4: Sherman Oaks studios, right? Yeah, I know. Usually we're having somebody at the hotel bang on your door because you can't hang with us over here on the West Coast. But look at you, wide awake. Your, your hair is... Uh, well, your hair is kind of a mess, but you're awake on West Coast time.
3: Yeah, I know it's a uh, it's a wacky change to uh, to my schedule, to be sure. But I want to help you break down your brackets as we kind of uh, run through uh, the uh, the Monday morning after the NCAA tournament brackets get set for everybody out there waking up across the country. Want to remind you uh, that we will be doing, and I'm excited about this because I keep talking about it, a live show on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for Lock It In, our television show in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. So if you are going to be in Las Vegas this upcoming weekend for the NCAA Tournament, We will be doing a live show. Our show airs 1.30 to 2.30 Pacific in Las Vegas. So if you are going to be in Las Vegas at 1 o'clock, they will distribute tickets. I also tweeted out a link where you can get tickets, and I believe you'll be able to come and watch it regardless because we'll be set up. But if you want to be sitting behind us uh, potentially on television on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you're looking for something fun to do, it should be pretty awesome. I'm not even sure exactly how the show is going to go, because me, Todd Furman, who uh, who you just heard from, uh, and uh, and Rachel Benetta, and uh, cousin Sal, all of us will be there, and we've never actually done a show all sitting at the same desk. So on Thursday and Friday in particular, games will be taking place while we do our show. So you can come hang out in the sports book, get your bets in. And then we will be doing a live show that's taking place while the NCAA tournament games are going on from a sports book in Vegas. I think it should be pretty awesome. I can't wait to try it out. And I think it's going to be really pretty outstanding. So, a couple of interesting nuggets out there. The national championship futures are out. So, if you are betting, if you're filling out your bracket and you're trying to think, okay, who are the most likely teams to be hoisting the trophy? on April 8th in Minneapolis. Who are those teams? Well, Duke right now, this is according to uh, MyBookie, uh, and bookie does a lot of work uh, here without kick. You can go to MyBookie.net, you put in the code Travis, and you get registered for their $50,000 bracket challenge. Again, you go to mybookie.net, you put in the code Travis, T-R-A-V-I-S, it's my name, and you get registered there for their $50,000 bracket challenge. It's free. You can also go check out all the latest numbers. These are their latest numbers. National Championship Futures are live uh, at uh, at mybookie.net. Duke, plus plus one twenty five. Zion and Duke, everybody is impressed with how well Duke has been playing down the stretch. Duke is at plus 225. The Zags, Gonzaga is at 6-1, to plus 600, 6-1 on the Zags. I think they got a beneficial bracket. Uh, they are in great shape. Virginia at 8-1. to uh, Michigan at 10-1. to If you are a Michigan State fan and you're like, well, what's the impact over all the brackets? Michigan's 10-1. to because they're in Gonzaga's region and they've got a pretty good draw if you look at the way that bracket sets up. UNC 12 to 1. They are the one seed in the south in the Midwest region and they are alongside of Kentucky who is the two seed and they are also 12 to 1. Michigan State is 12 to 1 coming out of the east where Duke is the one seed. Tennessee is at 14 to 1. They are the two seed coming out of the South, where UVA is the number one overall. And Auburn is at 20 to 1. They are on a hot streak right now. Houston, 25 to 1. Purdue, 25 to 1. You can go look at all of these numbers, but those are the teams that are jumping out right at the top of uh, this list. Auburn, obviously, is the team that has gotten white hot, at least in the minds of gamblers, because uh, they have won eight games in a row. And they are even though they're whatever, like a top 10 team right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, they are the number nine overall most likely team to win the NCAA tournament, even though crazily they are a uh, they're a five seed. So I mean, you think about a team that has gotten white hot. Auburn now is the ninth most likely team to win the NCAA tournament even though they are a five-seed. Houston, I know there's a lot of people out there that want the Cougars to make a run, bring back five, a is at 25-to-one as well. Uh, and these are the most recent numbers. And then it goes all the way down to, if you want to get insanely rich, uh, let's see. Prairie View A&M is, I believe, 10,000-to-one. Something like that. I can't even tell. There are so many zeros after Prairie View A&M, I can't even keep track of it. But those are the overall numbers as you uh, as you break them down.
4: So Wait, wait, really quick. Yeah. I saw that Dub tweeted you over the weekend with a wager because his Auburn team, before they smashed your Tennessee Vols.
3: Yeah, I lost that one. He can do his own segment. Well, oh, first boy. of all, let's talk about this for a second. Okay. I am the only person in America with a national radio show who has staff that want to bet their actual <laughs> jobs. All right? If you didn't see what Dub tweeted me, dub said hey if auburn wins i get to do a whole segment by myself if tennessee wins i'll answer the phones really well (laughs) that's literally his job he tweeted me saying hey if my team wins i get a benefit if your team wins then i will do the job that i'm already being paid to do which is why i always say i am an island of competence surrounded by an ocean of incompetence Uh, here we go it's truly unbelievable
4: Well, Dub did win the bet.
3: Yeah, he won the bet, but he wagered his already job that he's supposed to do. It's not like he said, hey, (laughs) I will, like, come clean your car or I'll clean your house or I'll do something in excess of what I normally do. But so Dub gets to do a segment at some point, maybe on Tuesday, maybe on Wednesday, probably Tuesday or Wednesday, because Tuesday and Wednesday will be a little bit quiet. There probably won't be a lot of news, and I can just go ahead and toss a segment away at least I have no idea what he's going to do. I have no idea what he's going to try to pull off, but I'm not very confident that it'll be any good. But welcome to my life having to deal with Dub, right? Uh, so when you look at these brackets, this is why I'm still fired up about this. I started off the show talking about it. Why do they seed the teams one to eight and then not follow the seed lines when they set the matchups? Because you can just look at those odds that I ran through. If the Okay, in order. Here were the one seeds according to the committee Duke, Virginia, UNC, and Gonzaga, right? One, two, three, four in that order. Here were the two seeds. Continuing, Tennessee was considered the top two seed, all right? All right, I can see that. Michigan State was considered the second best two seed. They were the, like, if you're ranking, Tennessee was five, Michigan State was six, in the seventh spot was Kentucky, and then in your eighth spot was Michigan. All right, So if you're going to seed one to eight, why wouldn't you set it up so Duke plays Michigan, one plays eight, Virginia plays Kentucky. And for people out there who say, oh, well, Virginia's playing in the south, and well, that's where that's going to take place in Louisville. All right, move it, right? Move it to a different region. They will seed people all over the place. Don't give Kentucky the home court advantage there. Virginia plays Kentucky. UNC plays Michigan State, and Gonzaga would play Tennessee. That would be one to eight. One would play eight, two would play seven, three would play play six, right? And four would play five. I don't understand why I am the only person who points this out every year. They employ nationwide. There are like a billion people who now have the title bracketologist on their name, right? There are a billion people out there doing their brackets, trying to make themselves look like an expert. And they will come on as soon as the bracket is set, and they will say all this stuff, breaking down the bracket. Nobody will ask a very simple question, which I'm asking, which is, if you bother to seed one to eight, why don't the top four teams play the worst? Like Duke should be playing Michigan. Instead of Gonzaga being the worst number one seed and also getting to play the worst number two seed, Duke should have to play Michigan. Michigan should have to play Duke. Michigan State shouldn't get screwed and have to play against Duke when they are the second best two seed. Tennessee should be playing Gonzaga. Yeah, you'd have to send Tennessee out to the West. So what? I'm sure that Rick Barnes would rather play the the way that they're seeded than he would get sent to go play against Virginia, who's the number two overall seed. And it's not fair to Virginia either. Why should Virginia have to play the number 5 team to get to the Final Four when they should be playing Kentucky, who Tennessee beat two out of three times? UNC should be playing Michigan State. It just doesn't it, – it drives me – am I, am I the only person who notices this? It's not even picking on it. It's just if you're going to seed, this would – like, it would make no sense if, for instance, imagine the reaction in college football. If they said, okay, one, two, three, four are our seeds – and then one and two are going to play in the semifinal round of college football. Everybody would be like, wait a minute. What's the purpose of seeding if you're going to give us one to four and then you're going to make those teams play, right? And it doesn't even make sense in general because you follow the seed line for uh, for somewhat of this, but other parts you don't. Like Duke is set up to play against Gonzaga in the final four, right? That's one versus four. And two is set up to play three, Virginia against UNC. So why would you only follow the seed line in one to four and just cut it off right then and there? I, sometimes I feel like I take crazy pills because the things that I notice and what people say, why does this matter? Well, the reason is because Michigan State is getting screwed here even though they beat Michigan three times. It just doesn't make sense. And sometimes I feel like I take crazy pills because the stuff I talk about, nobody else is pointing out. Everybody else is breaking down Fairly Dickinson and Prairie View A&M today, and I'm trying to actually point out something that would make the bracket better, that would make the regular season matter more.
4: To be fair, I heard Dan Byer on our network yesterday in the afternoon time pointing out this travesty that happened to Michigan State. But you rail about this same thing every year. This is my fourth year doing college basketball with you right here and it goes on and on
3: to be consistent that's what i try to do i'm not trying to be perfect although i do think we have the best morning show in the nation i'm not trying to be infallible but i do want the world to make sense that's all i ask for every day i try to make the world make sense and other people can't do it and it drives me crazy this is outkick the coverage
1: with clay travis
0: Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash
2: Do you love Selena?
5: Like really love?
2: Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano.
3: Right now, we're joined by a guy who does his own Fox Sports radio show, does really good stuff in college basketball in general. He is Aaron Torres. You can find him on Twitter. Where, Aaron? What's your Twitter handle?
7: It is at Aaron underscore Torres. The underscore is in the middle. So fun story. Um, There's like a, a, a undergraduate at the University of Texas that is Aaron Torres underscore, and he gets a lot of angry tweets sent my way. So Uh, It is Aaron underscore Torres.
3: That is fantastic. Well, I uh, appreciate you getting up early with us here on OutKick. You do phenomenal work. I've known you for a long time. You worked at Fox Sports uh, when Fox Sports 1 was just off and running, and you're doing a lot of cool stuff now. Uh, Your reaction in general when you saw the brackets come out, your first couple of takes were what?
7: Yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, if you had asked me at, you know, 8 a.m. Eastern on Sunday morning if I thought the three number one seats should come from the ACC, I would have said no. I would have said your uh, Tennessee Vols Clay definitely deserved one. But when Tennessee lost to Auburn, I kind of just felt like, okay, whoever gets these number one seats, you know, Gonzaga lost, Tennessee lost, Kentucky and Carolina lost in their uh, semifinals in their respective conference tournaments. I didn't really feel like there was anything to really be outraged about. You know, any four of five, six teams could have been a number one seed. On the bubble, the teams were so bad that I don't think anybody has a real gripe of not getting in. So I know the big reaction usually on the day after Selection Sunday is like, oh, this team got so screwed. And, like, I just, I don't really see it. I think the the brackets are pretty, uh, you know, kind of evenly kind of split up. I don't think Duke got the easiest draw like they're known to do sometimes. I really think, like, I know what we do. It's great to have controversy and arguments. I don't think anybody is really waking up on Monday morning feeling like they have a huge gripe with the bracket. All
3: right, so Michigan State, I would disagree in this respect. I think they got screwed, and I think they primarily okay. got screwed, and I've been on this, and I've been on this for years. I don't understand, Aaron, why the committee says, okay, here's our rankings 1-68, to 68, right? And, okay, Duke, Virginia, UNC, and Gonzaga is their one, two, three, four. Then their 5 is Tennessee. Their 6 is Michigan State. Their 7 is Kentucky. Their 8 is Michigan. We know Michigan State is better than Michigan because Michigan State beat them three times head-to-head. They also tied, I believe, to win the Big Ten and just won the Big Ten tournament yesterday. Yet, Michigan State has to play against Duke to go to the Final Four. Michigan gets to play against Gonzaga. To me, that's fundamentally unfair. And... The result has been that Michigan has a lot better odds now to win the national championship because of their bracket draw than Michigan State does, and that just seems fundamentally unfair to me.
7: Yeah, it's funny. as I was kind of wrapping up the last answer. Oh, you know, everybody's got a sweet draw. Like Michigan State is the one team with a legitimate gripe. And the crazy thing is, too, is that sometimes, you know, you just can't move teams around because of the fact that you have conference affiliations and this team would match up with a team in their own league or geography. Somebody's hosting a site this was one where they very easily could have switched out Michigan for Michigan state put in theory, the worst number two seed in the bracket with the best number one. So I guess, I guess I do agree with you on that clay that, that Michigan state probably of everybody has the biggest gripe for that exact reason. I would add this too, like what Michigan state did this year was so the degree of difficulty was through the roof. The big 10 goes to 20 conference games for the first time ever. They're the regular season champs. They're the tournament champs. And then, like you said, They beat Michigan three times. So I guess in hindsight, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I guess Michigan State probably, to me, only team with a legitimate gripe. Although I would also add, now that I'm thinking it through – Tennessee having to potentially play Cincinnati in Columbus seems like a little bit of nonsense to me. I'd be curious. I know you're a vol where you stand on that.
3: Yeah, I think it's ludicrous. And, I, and I'm consistent yeah. on this, too, in the same way when Duke got sent to South Carolina and ended up having to Agreed. play seven-seed South Carolina, you could kind of see the writing on the wall there, oh, that crowd will all be going crazy for South Carolina. And Duke ended up losing a relatively close game. And they were the better team all season. I don't have a problem with a team being sent in a geographical region when they are the superior team, right? When they're the higher seed, that's what you play for all year. But Tennessee, it seems to me, having to go to Columbus, Ohio, and play against a team from Cincinnati in Ohio uh, doesn't seem very fair to me. And also, in a similar fashion, Kansas theoretically getting to play, Uh assuming that they can beat Northeastern, and assuming they get by Auburn or uh, New Mexico State there, let's, uh, let's presume that happens, it doesn't seem like it would be fair for North Carolina to have to go up against Kansas in Kansas City.
7: No, I I agree 100%, and it was funny because on, I guess it was Saturday after the Tennessee-Kentucky game, you know, John Calipari, he always does these rants, but, like, one of them was, let's just bring back the S-curve, and for people who don't know what the S-curve is, very simply, it is just like an S, let's get, you know, the best number one seed against the worst number two seed right on down. I agree with Coach
3: Powell. That's what I'm in favor of.
7: I, and I totally agree. And you know the crazy thing about this to me, Clay, is one, I, I totally agree. If you're a lower-seeded team, there should be no geographical advantage. But then, two, I also just feel like why, like, like, so there's 68 teams in this tournament. All but 16 are going to be going home after the first weekend. So why are we so obsessed with, like, oh, well, we got to get this team, you know, they're, they're from this state, and if they're a little bit closer, it's like everybody leaves on the same day, everybody comes back on the same day, and, oh, by the way, there's only 16 teams that are even going to be gone from campus for more than one weekend. So, like, if I was in charge of this selection process, that would be the first thing i changed. I Don't worry about GR. Yeah, like, let's just make the most balanced, brackets, most balanced brackets possible, you know what I
3: mean? I 100% agree, and I'll tell you why I think they do it. I think they do it because they're worried about ticket sales in the cities. And so I think they try and say, okay, like we'll put Kentucky down in Jacksonville, Florida, because we know Kentucky's crowd will travel to Jacksonville, and we're not necessarily sure that if we put Michigan there that they'll sell a lot of tickets in Jacksonville, right? So I think this is about wanting good optics because you look at some of these games on television, and depending Mm -hmm. on which teams get shipped where – there's oftentimes not that many people in the crowds, and it doesn't really matter because this is a televised event, right? It doesn't, it shouldn't matter whether the arenas are sold out and whether they sell enough hotel rooms and everything else. But I think that's what they're trying to do, and I think they're just not honest about it.
7: No, I, I genuinely agree, and it's funny. I, w- I was on one of the other uh, Fox Sports radio shows on Sunday morning, and they asked me. They said, "Do you believe this thing is really a TV show?" And they do matchups for TV. And I said, well, you know, I really don't. And I kind of gave the same deal that I just gave a minute ago. Is I think they're more concerned about getting teams close to home than they are. But when you start looking at some of this stuff, I mean, whether it is for the optics on TV or just for the fact that we're going to get potentially Carolina-Kentucky in the Elite Eight, we're potentially going to get, well, we're not going to potentially get, we're getting, how about this? And I know I know, you're the man that loves controversy. So how about Richard Petino oh, yeah, against Louisville? Yeah. Like, you can't tell me that wasn't like, like, Somebody at, like, 11.30 on Saturday was like, you know, it would be for a fun match. Like, you know, they're eating pizza. They're probably all wired. Like, let's just put Patino against Louisville, and they just knocked it out. You know, so I do think this is a, a thing that they can say there's a number of different variables, but I do think making compelling matchups and storylines is part of it.
3: Well, not only that, it is literally leading the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Thursday, first game to tip on Thursday on big CBS, you know, like for the biggest possible yep. audience nationwide, Minnesota against Louisville, which is a default Rick Patino story, right? Like that doesn't happen by accident that that game is leading off. Again, the very first game of the NCAA tournament is at uh, 1215 Eastern on Thursday. It's Minnesota against Louisville.
7: This is the analogy I used on my own podcast Sunday night is – Imagine being Chris Mack, like you've done things the right way. You've said all the right things. You've, you've paid respect to Rick, Rick The best analogy I could come up with, this was off the top of my head. You tell me if you like it. It's like you're, you know, you're dating a girl. And I know all of us radio guys do the dating analogy stuff, but like you're dating a girl. Her annoying ex is like finally out of town. She throws you a birthday party. And then her brother shows up. Like it's, I can't get like I can't get away from these people, you know. And like that's what it feels like to me. Is like Chris Mack, good guy. Like I said, inherited a bad situation, overachieved, and now for the next three days he's got to answer questions about Rick Pitino again.
3: Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, honestly. Um, and uh, and and that's where um I think it's primarily a television event. But if you're going mm-hmm. to release one to sixty eight then go ahead and follow it all the way. Don't worry about travel, anything else. Now, I will say if you look at something and it's evident, like, for instance, if you do 1-8, to then you could end up with Virginia playing against Kentucky, right? And and if they put them in the south, that would be in Louisville, which would not be very (laughs) fair to Virginia, right? So if you look at that, you can shift to try to make it somewhat fair and just move them around, right? Like, it, that to me doesn't seem like it's a massive adjustment. Uh, but uh, but as is, I just think it is uh, – I, I think you need almost a director of common sense to look at this and say, Hey, guys, UNC in the bracket that you're drawing right now is set up to be playing against Kansas in Kansas City. Does it seem Mm -hmm. like the four seed should be able to host there? And, oh, by the way, if you look at this bracket, and I saw it the minute it came out. I said, oh, it's Columbus, Ohio. Cincinnati's the seven seed. You have seeded Cincinnati to play against the two seed Tennessee in their own backyard in Ohio. Does that seem like it's a fair setup? Like just a director of common sense, you could have easily flipped another seven seed in there in that region. You could have easily put Kansas in another place there as well. And, again, I just think this is where, the fundamentally, you're running aground.
7: Yeah, and I'd be curious. I mean, I, I honestly, I was doing so much stuff Sunday night. I didn't see all the comments from the committee people and, you know, why, what, what their justification was. But it felt like there was a lot of stuff this year, right? So I'll just give you an example. So, first of all, Kansas and Kansas City makes no sense. Tennessee is a two-seed having to play Cincinnati in Columbus makes no sense. How about this? So you know I live in L.A. Last year, the, the Sweet 16 was at Staples Center – Michigan, Gonzaga, Florida State all made it to that regional. In the West region this year, Gonzaga is the 1 seed, Michigan is the 2 seed, Florida State is the 4 seed. I know that like doesn't matter, but I just feel like there was a lot of little stuff this year where like I said, I don't feel like any fan base except maybe Michigan State, maybe Tennessee has like this major, you know, catastrophic gripe. But there was a lot of little stuff with the bracket this year that it usually feels like it's a little cleaner in terms of, like, common sense stuff, like you were saying.
3: Yeah, no, I just I just think in general it's a mess the way it gets laid out. And, look, this is just like, again, I'm big on this in sports in general. If we just had a director of common sense, I think it would mm-hmm. make a lot more of a uh, of sense in general. All right, let's go into the bracket itself. Who do you like? Like, we, Danny G and I, uh, at the end of the first hour, gave our primary upset picks just to have some fun. Who do you like in this bracket that's maybe outside of the top one, two, three, or 4 line that you think could make a run based on the way it's set up?
7: Uh, It's a good question. Um, Look, it's really – so I think, first of all, like Iowa State, they're so boom or bust. And and for people who don't know, they really struggled at the end of the season. Like, they're one of these teams, like, they have four or five guys that are probably going to get drafted over the next couple years. And it just felt like for about a three-week stretch there – their, their guys on their team were more worried about mock drafts and what they were reading online than actually what was happening on the court. They lost like five of their last six games. Then they get to the Big 12 tournament, and they cruise to a Big 12 tournament title. And so I like Houston in general. I think Houston's actually pretty good. But I do think Iowa State's like a, a team that could be a bad matchup for them because they moved the ball well, they spaced the ball well. I think that's a team that, that could make a nice little run here, maybe get past Houston potentially play Kentucky in the sweet 16 um, on the other side of the bracket. Like I'm still torn on this Florida, Nevada game. Like, and I know you're a big SEC guy, Florida all year. They were playing everybody tough. They, they could have beat Tennessee early. They, they played Kentucky tough at home. They beat LSU once they beat them again in the SEC tournament. And I feel like, you know, if they get by Nevada, I just think that they're like, I don't think they're a particularly good team but I don't know that they're necessarily like afraid of anybody either just because of everybody that they've played. And so they're one that I just think if they get by Nevada, I don't think they're going to be afraid of Michigan. I think they could pull the upset. And those are the only ones that really jump out. I mean, I like teams. I, I think Murray State, I-, I know it's probably a pretty cliche pick because they have a lottery pick on their team. I think they'll pull the upset against Marquette. I don't know if I have them winning two games just yet. But those are the ones that kind of jump out to me. Iowa State is a six seed, maybe getting to the Sweet 16. Florida, I think, to the Sweet 16, maybe even a little bit further.
3: Hey, outstanding stuff as always. Keep up the good work, Aaron Torres. He's at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, not the one who is at school at the University of Texas. Appreciate the time, my man. Good luck in the gambling picks and also have fun with the tournament. All right, Clay. Thank you. Safe travels to Vegas this week, man. Will do. Appreciate that. When we come back... Got a bunch of other interesting stories we've all hit so far on NCAA tournament-related stories. How about Johnny Manziel to Memphis? How about Fitz Magic down to Miami? And Ryan Tannehill moving to the Titans to back up Marcus Mariota. A little bit of football talk here for you to finish off Hour 2. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us here on a Monday as we've been breaking down the NCAA tournament brackets. But so there's a couple of interesting things that I wanted to uh, to point out from the world of football that took place over the weekend as well. First, and remember if I said this back in the day in the AAF, if you could add three quarterbacks, I'd pay attention to you. Colin Kaepernick, Tim Tebow, and Johnny Manziel. Well, Johnny Manziel is headed to the AAF, and he is going to be playing for the Memphis franchise. And how much he'll play or any of the details surrounding it will be intriguing. I would definitely bring him into the XFL if I were them next year as well. But we'll see what happens with Johnny Manziel. He is a guy that I think a lot of you out there listening will still have interest in, even if he's now had a chance in the NFL, now had a chance in the CFL, and now we'll see if he can resurrect himself at all in the AAF.
4: You'll watch, right, Danny? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Yeah, it's going to be weird that Mike Singletary is Johnny Manziel's coach now, right? I don't know. I don't even
3: know how many games there are left in the AAF season. Um, I have no earthly clue. I know that Memphis is not a good AAF team, which is kind of embarrassing that I even know what their record is. I think they're 1-3. and Uh, but we'll see what happens there. I know they got an injured Zach Mettenberger at quarterback, Christian Hackenberg. Those are names that make a lot of sense to college football fans, formerly at Penn State and, uh, and certainly formerly uh, with LSU and then with the Tennessee Titans. So uh, that is an interesting story that we'll be paying attention to. Also – Miami Dolphins making a move. They bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick as their next quarterback. This, to me, first of all, Ryan Fitzpatrick now has played for 16 of the 32 NFL teams, it feels like. I don't even know, Danny J. You can pull up <laughs> and look at how many teams he has been on. Just off the top of my head right now, he has been on the Buffalo Bills. He has been on the Tennessee Titans. He's been on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's been on the New York Jets. I feel like he has played... For almost every team in the NFL, it feels like, at some point in time. That's at least five or six I just named. And now he's going to be on the Miami Dolphins. He also played who else did he play for? So I check and see if there's any other team out there that I missed. Ryan Fitzpatrick is now going to be the Miami Dolphins quarterback. You clearly would expect that the Dolphins are going to be drafting a quarterback in the first round.
4: All right, Clay, I have the list here. Okay, who we got? Okay. You got a few of them right, but you forgot the Rams. That's how he started. Cincinnati Bengals, you forgot. Buffalo Bills, Tennessee Titans, you had that. Houston Texans, you forgot. The New York Jets, got Tampa Bay Bucs, of course. And now the Miami Dolphins.
3: Has to be near a record. He has played for one-fourth of the teams in the NFL now. Eight of the 32 teams Ryan Fitzpatrick has played on. So you have to assume that the Miami Dolphins are going to go and be drafting a quarterback in the first round, I think. But in the meantime, Fitzmagic, we'll see if it translates at all further down into South Florida. On top of that, as if that weren't enough, Ryan Tannehill gets traded to the Tennessee Titans. Now this move in and of itself is wild to me.
4: Well, you got your wish, Clay, at the end of last season. You were so pissed at Mariota that you wanted him gone. You said he was done. No, I didn't want him gone.
3: I said, I'm not going to defend him anymore (laughs) because he had to play in that game, in my opinion, against the Colts. But this is an unbelievable move by the Titans because they have now got the only guy with worse health in the NFL to back up Marcus Mariota. I'm going on the record right now. There will be a game where both Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill get knocked out, right? They'll both get injured. And the Titans will go to their third quarterback, which will probably be Derrick Henry in the Wildcats. That's not even a joke. It's going to happen. Put me down on record for that. If they only dress two quarterbacks, both of them are going to get knocked out, and Derrick Henry is going to be playing Wildcat <laughs> in a game. All right. The chances of both of these guys finishing the season healthy are zero. There is no way on the planet that both of these guys are going to finish the season able to play football. So I kind of halfway expect for them to run into each other at training camp, knock knees, and both be out for the rest of the season. That's kind of the way things have been going. But I will say this. At least Tannehill is infinitely better than uh, than Blaine Gabbert, who was Marcus Mariota's backup last year. And he's definitely better than Matt Castle. But this is a a big year. It's not saying a whole lot. I'm trying to look for the bright side. All right. Try not to be a grump on Monday morning uh, with my NFL news. So uh, those are all stories that came out of the world of football. Johnny Manziel, Fitzmagic, and uh, Ryan Tannehill, all with uh, with new destinations for sure. Um, All right. As we roll into hour number three, I want to hit people again with this bit of news. Doing the show with Sherman Oaks, haven't been out here doing the show ever before in the studios in L.A. I'll be here for Tuesday. And then we go out to Vegas on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'll be doing Outkick from Vegas, the morning radio show. But also, that's not going to be public. That won't, You won't be able to watch that. But we are doing the Lock It In television show on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It should be really fun. We are doing it from the MGM Grand. So if you are making the decision to come out to, uh, to hang out in Vegas, as I know many of you like to do for the NCAA tournament, and you listen to this show, or you may be in Vegas listening to this show right now. But regardless of where you are, come to the MGM Grand and we will be set up and we will have a good time with you. So that is uh, that is on the horizon. Uh, we'll be excited to do that. Uh, uh, later today, by the way, I'll be on the lot at Fox. I'll be on Speak for Yourself, I believe, Jason Whitlock's show, as well as uh, as my own show, Lock It In. Uh, so that is what's coming down uh, the radar later. We've been talking a lot about the NCAA brackets. Did I even mention why I started talking about the brackets? Todd Furman is going to join us here in Hour 3 if you are just waking up across the country and you're going to be going into work today and you want some tips on looking over this bracket and thinking about how uh, to uh, to make your picks going forward. When will you actually complete your bracket, Danny G? I
4: think I'm going to take all day long today to study the bracket and then I'll fill out one. I only like to do one. Yeah, same as you. Maybe two because like for what we do for a living, we do one usually online for Fox. But other than that, it bugs me when people will do like a dozen different brackets and then they'll do bug parts where they try to piece them together with different victories on different sheets. Come on, just do one or two. Leave it at that.
3: Yeah, I enjoy looking at the way the lines are moving and looking at that. But um, my kids, obviously, this is one of the fun things about being a parent is I can remember back when I was a kid filling out my bracket and how excited I was to compete with my dad or my mom or whoever it is. And so my boys, my two oldest, are really geeked up and excited about doing uh, doing it for sure. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, this should be a lot of fun. I appreciate all of you coming and hanging out with us here on Monday morning. Again, we'll be live tomorrow from L.A., I'll be out here doing the show, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm not kidding about this. I'd like to see a bunch of you at the MGM Grand. Hope you guys are going to be able to swing by. I hope all of you have good luck with your gambling picks. We'll be giving you a ton of gambling picks. The way my picks have been going, although I'm the king again, and I'm trying to think of the most ostentatious, outrageous, most over-the-top way that I can show up for the show on Wednesday. I don't know if it's got, like, thunder-down-under guys carrying me in in their underwear. I don't know what it is on a throne But I will have the crown this week, two straight weeks that I've won on Lock It In. And you know how understated, and I hate to draw draw attention to myself, uh, but that should be intriguing. Also, Dub will be back eventually, and he managed to win a bet to actually do his job. So Auburn beats Tennessee, so we'll see what Dub (laughs) ends up doing later this week in his uh, chosen segment. Uh, But appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Like I said, I've been live here with uh, Danny G in L.A. Hate to say this. But I didn't even get time to make fun of LeBron today. That's how much we talked about the brackets. (laughs) I didn't even get an opportunity to tee off on LeBron.
4: You know what we should really be taking time to cover is how bad your prediction was about Zion never playing a college game ever again.
3: Yeah, well, I said that he probably (laughs) wouldn't be back, Uh but he did come back and he played phenomenally well. I don't get everything right, but I was right about the Lakers stinking and LeBron James getting rejected on the road in Madison Square Garden by the Knicks. The Knicks are trying to tank and the
4: Lakers can't even beat them. It's all part of the master plan, Clay. It's called not trying for Zion.
3: I'm out here, (laughs) and I actually could smell the stench from the Staples Center all the way out here in Sherman Oaks doing doing the radio show and all the way back in Beverly Hills doing the television show. I appreciate all of you. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll be live again tomorrow. In L.A., my name is Clay Travis. This is Outkick. The coverage, good luck on your brackets, boys and girls. No matter what happens, just be glad. At least you aren't a Lakers fan who thought LeBron was going to lead you to a championship.
4: Unless you are, suckers. We'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: Zion is never coming back.